0: To episode 4 of the Renegade Movement Performance Podcast. I am Lex.
1: And I'm Kyle. And today we're going to talk about um, why it is appropriate to get the proper assessment for what's going on um, when you have something going on pain-wise or if you're just looking for performance and stuff. We need to kind of talk about why it's important to get assessed and not just kind of guess and throw exercises and stuff. So um, this is something that as physical therapists and healthcare providers... Um, I'm sure our other PT brethren and uh, maybe other movement professionals can relate. Um, first, we're going to talk about the whole giving exercises things. So um, what do I mean by that, Lex?
0: Well, so you know, many times Kyle and I have been asked to give someone the exercises for such and such problem they have going on or something that they have been told that they have. And you know, whether that's by text or in person, It's not something that we love only because, you know, everyone deserves more than that. We cannot just throw exercises at you because you have knee pain, let's just say. Um, There's...
1: Go ahead. Well, here's the thing. So it's a double-edged sword. It's a dual-sided coin or something, right? So it's good in the sense that people are sitting there and they're like man my knee's killing me and they go on to instagram or some kind of social media or wherever they find it and they're like okay try these things for knee pain try these few exercises so it's kind of born out of that a little bit i think the social media era and in a sense it can be good because people have access to some exercises some movements they can try and if it helps them that's fantastic right however um oftentimes that is not hundred percent successful or as successful as it could be people don't get to where maybe they would like to be or could be um just trying kind of throw it at the wall and see what sticks exercises so um you know family members notoriously or friends will ask you uh you know my knees hurting me or my low back's hurting me what are the exercises i can do for that and um on the one hand you kind of want to help so you try to be like hey just try these things X, Y, and Z without really knowing what's going on with them, right? Because you're just getting a phone call or a text message about this. Um, And it may or may not work, right? So for us, we kind of feel bad about it, right? Because you want to help, but you know that that's not going to 100% solve their problem because you're not, you haven't assessed that person, right? Uh, We're going to talk about what that entails in a bit here, but Without giving that assessment, you can't know what's wrong, therefore you can't fix the problem, right? Like yeah, when and- you bring your car to the automotive garage, they don't just start replacing random things, right? They do a diagnostic test with the computers, they take it for a test drive, and they evaluate what might be the potential problem, and then they do a more targeted approach to fixing your vehicle. It is no different for your human body, right? Now, you're not some of parts that we need to replace, but In the same sense, we need to do a diagnostic assessment to figure out what is going on and what is the biggest bang for our buck to go after as far as exercises and things you can be doing to help improve your movement and and optimize that.
0: But I think that some of it also comes from, you know, correct me if I'm wrong whatever you think, but some of it may be coming from us not being as vocal about what we do because, Yes, we always give exercises, obviously. That is you know therapeutic exercise. That's what we do. However, you know, we don't give the same dealt cards for every person who has knee pain. And I think sometimes it's it's mixed up because we don't, I mean, you should be telling your patient why they're doing every single exercise. If we can't tell you why we're doing something, then we probably shouldn't be doing it. However, in the long run, I really think that this whole problem stems from us not being so good at advertising what we do.
1: Well, in general, people are not, I guess, our profession is not uh, that great at advertising what we do. Yeah, so we don't what don't really well. is Most people don't know what a PT truly does or what our job entails and how we can help. So, superficially, they might know somebody or might have went themselves to PT before, and they got exercises, and maybe, like Lex is saying, it wasn't communicated enough um, why people were doing the exercises they were doing and what specifically was tailored for them and how that was going to maybe 100% solve their problem best rather than it would have been tweaked a different way. So that's a good example. Um, you know, we might give you a squat, right, as, as one of the exercises that we're working on, um, or we might do some variation thereof. But the point being if you have knee pain, we might do squats, okay? But somebody coming in with knee pain could have 20 different things wrong or more, right? There could be 20 different presentations of that same knee pain. So even if it's in the same exact spot, the same exact problem, two different people, it might be two different things that we need to address. One guy might need to work on his ankle mobility. The other guy needs to work on the neuromuscular control of his hip rotation as he's going to his squatting motions or going up and down stairs or whatever it might be. So very different kind of targeted approaches leading off of that because, one, obviously we want to address that limited ankle mobility, and the other person we'd want to address the rotational control in their hip.
0: Right, and, like, you know, some things don't come from where they're at. So, you know, we've heard it many times where you think it is, it ain't. That's the IRL quote. Um, It's very hard to say that knee pain is from the knee. Um, Lots of times knee pain or ankle pain or hip pain can come from the back. And so if we gave exercises for knee pain and we only looked at the knee, one, you should question us as physical therapists because we're not really doing our full job. But two, you would likely feel better maybe for a little bit, Um, but we're not really addressing the problem. So it's just going to come back. So that's like us only doing, let's just say, IASTM or using the tool, doing cupping. You know, just doing that stuff is not going to make you better we do that stuff so that we can move and then that will make you better, but we need to address the actual problem. So if it's coming from the back, yes, we'll, we'll look at your knee pain, but if we can treat the back and your knee pain, your knee pain goes away. Perfect. Um, but that's why when we're asked what the exercises are for knee pain, we just kind of look at each other and we're like, well, you know, there's a lot of exercises we know, but answer this
1: question. (laughs) Um, yeah. So, yeah going with that right like the victims cry out the culprits remain silent usually so where you're hurting or um the area that we're addressing might be different than where that problem is actually originating is kind of what lex is talking about so um and that's true for a lot of areas sometimes it is the area itself especially in the case of you know a focal injury i mean if you tear your acl yes um it's your acl but even in that case actually it probably has something to do with um, your neuromuscular control at the hip and or ankle or balance and a lot of other things going on at the uh, level of the nervous system. So uh, even something where it is an injury to the area, again, that's, I guess, still reinforcing the idea that the victims cry out and the culprits remain silent. So um, classically, right, if somebody has numbness tingling in their hand, and actually we see referrals for this, (laughs) uh, any kind of numbness tingling in the hand, it's carpal tunnel. And uh, people will see that on the interwebs, doctors will write scripts to, or referral to PT and it will say that. Um, but classically, it, it's often not carpal tunnel. And so what is carpal tunnel in the first place? Okay, let's talk about that quick. It is a compression or irritation of the nerves um, at the level of the wrist, affecting the median nerve specifically um and if we irritate nerves we know that they let us know that by uh producing numbness tingling sometimes even weakness um pain pain <laughs> all that stuff okay but um when somebody has numbness and tingling in their hand right it could be the median nerve and it could be that it's irritated at the level of the wrist and that would be carpal tunnel or it could be irritated more um higher up in the forearm underneath uh, a muscle called the pronator teres which is kind of not relevant but Point being, it's irritated a little higher up there, and so whatever we would do to address stuff at the wrist for a quote-unquote carpal tunnel might not work because if it's irritated higher up than that, not going to really solve the problem, right?
0: And then you have the classic, it's coming from the neck.
1: Yeah, oftentimes, yeah, it will come from the neck, whether we're talking about the thoracic outlet, which is kind of um, underneath your collarbone and on the side of your neck there, um, where the nerves run through there's not much space for them, so things can kind of get a little gummed up in there. Or um, more often maybe in the actual neck itself where the nerves leave the spinal cord, um, they can get a little bit irritated there as well. And so you have that numbness tingling in the hand, but it's actually coming from the nerve being irritated at the level of the neck, right? So if we do stuff for your quote-unquote carpal tunnel, but it's actually a cervical radiculopathy, meaning it's irritated at the level of the neck, well, (laughs) we're probably not going to be too successful in resolving your problem.
0: Right. So I guess, long story short, you know, it's something that we don't talk enough about. And we never want anyone to think that we don't want to help them when they ask for the exercises. We just want people to understand that it's incredibly hard for us to just give exercises. And it's not something that we would ever do because you deserve more than that. You deserve to know why you're having the pain you're having, how we can fix that pain and how we can make it go away for good. You know, if that... Elbow or hand, whatever you want to talk about, hurts, numbness and I'm just tingling her hand. If we never treat the actual cause, it's just going to keep coming back, and we don't want to waste your time. You know, that's something that that's how we live. You know, we don't want to waste your time doing exercises that won't help you. That's just silly. So
1: that kind of leads us into yeah, what does an assessment look like, right? So we're talking about don't don't just guess. Let's assess. Well, what does our assessment look like? So. Um, in the insurance-based world, we're limited by a lot of constraints. We talked about that, uh, I believe, episode one. Um, and people do their best, right? Like, we, when we work at uh, insurance-based clinics, we do our best, right? And so does everybody else.
0: i say my initial eval pretty much lasts two full appointments because I can't get everything I want to do in on the first day. Right. Like, I always end up doing a lot more on the second day, just because you don't have time to assess everything you need to assess.
1: Well, and realistically, it's a continuous assessment process. Right, exactly. We're day. always day. We're always looking at things um, as they evolve, because as right. you start to open up and address certain things, then you might notice other things crop up, and um, it's kind of like an onion, right? The old Trek thing, you peel back the layers. Um, but yeah, it's a continuous process, but in the actual initial evaluation or the initial assessment that we'll, we do, um When you're not limited by insurance constraints and when you're on a cash PT practice basis, um, something or I suppose these are some of the things we would include. Maybe not an exhaustive list, but these are some of the things we would include. So um, number one, obviously, we're going to look at your range of motion and strength, meaning how well can we move um, certain areas, right? How far can we physically move that joint? Um, And how much force can we create through that joint or through that area? Okay.
0: And in relation to that, we would look at the stability or motor control, or stability and motor control of that area. So just because you have perfect strength does not mean that you have the motor control within that region. So for instance, you can have full shoulder strength, let's just say. Nothing hurts when we test your shoulder. It all feels good. You have perfect strength. Great. But you still have shoulder pain when you do any type of pressing motion. Well, how could that be? So oftentimes that's just muscles that are there, they are working, they are fully functional, and they're strong. However, they're not activating in the correct sequence in order to get you through that movement pain-free. So that's something that you see through that motor control assessment and just making sure that we have that there present working. So in addition, the stability component, so that's something that we see a lot of. You know, the core stability, I always think of the core as the hips, that abs, as everyone thinks about the trunk, abdominal yeah. trunk region, and the shoulders. So that's your core. And that whole region needs to be stable. And obviously, we have lots of ways to check that. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, really, all we're doing with our arms or our legs is trans is, is attenuating or translating force. So, right. and, and where is it going? It's going to the shoulders or to the hips or both and into the trunk. Or, or out of that, right? whether we're attenuating or, or generating force. And if you um, don't
0: have that proximal stability, you won't have distal mobility. So if your right. core is not strong, that shoulder, hips, trunk region, you cannot move your extremities as well or as be as strong with your extremities as you possibly could be.
1: Which, um, hopefully we're not being too confusing, but when you talk about strength, it kind of leads you into, well, is it strength or are we talking about motor control or stability? Those are all kind of starting to be a little bit ambiguous like a little bit ambiguous. Um, really, we're talking about what is the nervous system capable of doing right? because that's kind of the leader of the whole show here. Um, you know, if your nervous system is not feeling safe enough to attenuate or generate that force because we can't do that adequately with our core, with our hips, with our shoulders, If we can't attenuate or generate that force because we can't keep stability or we can't keep good control of those joints in the trunk or the shoulders, hips, then it's not going to let us have as much force output. Then we can't jump as high. Then we can't PR our lifts.
0: Right. You have to have the ability to resist force before you can create force. Yeah. So if you can't resist a rotation at your core, there's no way that you're going to generate force for rotation at your core without having difficulty or compensation somewhere else
1: so classically um especially we talk to a lot of crossfitters here um but a lot of lifters in general classically you'll see people have kind of that um really super arch position where their stomach's kind of sticking out and um that happens more so when we're going overhead, but a lot of people adopt that position for squatting and just any kind of heavy load that their trunk is having to accept. Because
0: I call it the stripper position, like a stripper yeah. squat.
1: Like you're trying to, yeah, like you're trying to make it look like you more have more backside than you do. So, um, which a lot of high level athletes have that, right? But what they're doing there is their nervous system has found, hey, if I just lock out to end range and put that force through some of the more passive structures like um, bone and like ligament, right? If I put the force through that and I, I can attenuate more force that way.
0: Right, and stability is achieved 110%, though very stable. However, it is just not optimal. So if you took that same person and taught them how to use their core in a more optimal way and not arch their back, but instead, for lack of better terms, tuck their butt under and activate their core during that motion, they will gain strength in the long run because they'll be using things the way that they should be used and you will have that motor control and strength in a good way that will allow that distal mobility to happen. And yeah, that's well, something that we just talked about in the last episode or yeah, with Allie.
1: Short short term, they're, you're not going to like it. Yeah, short, <laughs> it's gonna, short
0: term, it will not be fun. <laughs> it's
1: it's going to be wicked hard and you're going to go from like, I don't know, let's say your snatch PR is like 225 and then you start – to go to a more neutral position using more of the active core control, you might have to start with a barbell, a training bar even.
0: Well, you should. You should be. You're training a motor pattern. Right. So you should be starting with nothing to begin with because if you're starting with 300 pounds, you're just going to go back to what feels comfortable. You know, you can't expect to change your motor pattern that you've been doing for however long without taking a step back.
1: Well, without going on too long of a rant, load reinforces the pattern you're using. so. If you don't have an optimal pattern and you're trying to repattern that, right, and and learn how to use a little bit more ideal movement strategies, mm-hmm. then you have to go all the way back to none or very light, limited load because as soon as you add too much load, you're going to go back to whatever the default was. So And you'll just be reinforcing that pattern. Right. So, without yep. going on too long of a rant there.
0: Yeah, your body takes the path of least resistance. That's yeah. just what it is. So, if it, something is easy... Your our brain, body's going to do it.
1: Yeah, our brain's very smart and efficient, um, and it finds good ways to compensate when things are too hard. It's like, well, what's the maximum reward with the minimal input here? Yeah. Um, so so it's very good at doing that. But, So that kind of is some of the things we'd assess, range of motion, strength, stability, motor control, stuff like that. Also what we would assess um, would be kind of the anthropometrics of the person in front of us. So what anthropometrics mean is um, basically the measurement of your different body proportions. So not necessarily talking about seeing how long your nose is and how big your ears are or whatever, right? We're not really interested in that. But certain things do matter, right? So um, classically, people who have long femurs, such as myself and Alexis, uh, have
0: very long femurs. <laughs> we'll have a
1: lot more trunk lean when we go to squat unless we have super good hips and ankles for mobility. But the point being, right, because our weight is so far back, if you think about the femur as we come down and it's in a more horizontal position, or our thighs are parallel to the ground, that's going to push our body weight way far back behind our base of support, which is our feet. So then you have to kind of... um, adjust for that and lean forward further to get the weight back over that base of support, or the weight back over our feet. Right. So that's one, th- like just one example of anthropometrics that would impact our movement patterns.
0: And I would say another thing too, that I see a lot and people often ask questions about are how should your feet be positioned in a squat? And depending on the person, that will be totally different. So the way that your hips are shaped can change how optimal it is to have your feet either completely well, with, parallel or turned out a little bit
1: yeah with and rotationally
0: yeah and so like exactly with and rotationally so like myself my right hip is different than my left and most people do not have perfectly you know symmetrical bodies so when I squat my right foot feels better I do not have pain when I turn my right foot out so correcting me to turn my right foot in, and I have tried this; it gives me pain. I don't. I don't want pain when I squat. And I've come to the conclusion that my hip feels better when it's turned out. And by it's unique
1: to you as an individual. It's unique to me, correct? Because so, of your scoliosis.
0: Right, and exactly. So I have scoliosis. So having Which, that affects things. So okay. it's one of those things that that's why the individual assessment is so important. Because if someone were to just correct me blindly and say, "Hey, turn your foot in." well, that may not be optimal for me. And, you know, I could follow that, sure, of course. But I'll, And I'll have pain, and I'll come to a PT and say, hey, I have pain when I squat because my foot's, you know, turned in or whatever. My squat didn't hurt, and now it does. And then we, we would check those joints and see what is optimal for you because yeah. it will be different person to person.
1: So that's kind of anthropometrics. That's kind yeah. of looking at the individual and what they have going on, what they are born with. I mean... Um, I, I'm kind of a nerd about some of this stuff, so I'll try to save you the details, but, uh, even your tallow curl, your ankle joint, um, and the subtalar joint below that your foot and ankle, basically, you know, there are variations in how many different facets each of those joints have, um, like widely variable. And that greatly impacts how stable or mobile your foot is, uh, your foot and ankle are, I should say, which is going to, Drastically change how we might need to address different movement patterns that we see going on. So, um,
0: bottom line, it's, bottom line it's is it's all we individualized, tailor
1: things to you yeah. and to how you were made and how you can move. So,
0: like, why would we want to? Ch- we we don't change that. That's again, assess,
1: don't guess. Um, <laughs> so that kind of brings us into. Movement analysis, right? So, we're going to look at if you are a lifter, right? Or if you're a CrossFitter or you do OLI lifts, whatever, obviously, we're going to look at those lifts, right? Or if, if you're, you're having pain in a movement, we're going to look at that movement. That right. makes kind of intuitive sense there. Um, some things might not make as much sense, but we might want to see uh, and assess the movements, even if you aren't having pain there, if that isn't the thing that you're like, man, I wish I could PR this lift. Um, but there are different movement patterns that are kind of foundational, and if we can get to those shapes, Really well, or not so well, that is very important for us to assess, Um, even to the point of conducting a video analysis. So,
0: well, videoing yourself in general yeah, is that's... super, super important. <laughs> I learned um, it's super awkward at first, and then it becomes okay. I, I did not like to do it at first, and then I was like, hmm,
1: well, especially at the gym. Yeah, at the gym, <laughs> it's super
0: awkward, but I mean, you get over it, and then people get over it, and they just you know, like, look the other way. It's not a big deal. What is this deal. chick
1: doing? Is yeah. this for her Instagram?
0: Yeah. Like, like what is she doing? But bite. in the end it gives you an opportunity to see how you're moving. So oftentimes, like I know personally when I squat and I hit 90 degrees, I do not know that I'm at 90. I still feel like I have at least 15 to 20 degrees to go. So every time I squat, I actually squat past 90, which is fine. Not a big deal. However, when you're doing a really heavy lift, you might want to stop at 90. Or if you don't have control in the bottom of the squat, like I did not before, I want to stop at 90 degrees or just below because I don't have control otherwise in the bottom of that. And that's something to work on. However, that's another story. Um, but I don't know that I'm at 90. So videoing myself is something that helped me.
1: Yeah. And beyond that, when we analyze somebody with a a video of their movement, we can slow it down and show people what's going on, we can also take measurements of certain things that are moving in certain ways using different, um, analysis tools we have to show people kind of how things are moving and put a numerical value sometimes to that, um, which I think is invaluable for people to see. Um, and then lastly, kind of one of the things we like to assess throughout all of this stuff, um, we kind of touched on when we're talking about strength and motor control stability is some of the hierarchical systems. And so with that, one of the things we look at is vision. So um, Alexis works with people who have had concussions and often um, she'll see certain deficits in their visual kind of uh, processing, right? Well, it's more or less the control
0: of their eyes and how their eyes move in response to them moving or not moving, And, you know, sometimes that does affect how you will move and perceive different stimuli. Now, in addition to that, vision is also, obviously, your eyes need to be able to work together. So if your eyes do not play nice together, you're going to have a hard time with balance, especially because balance is very relies on vision. It's one of the very simple things that it relies on.
1: If you don't believe her, stand on one leg. If you can do that pretty well with your eyes open, close your eyes and try to stay on that one leg. Probably it's a lot harder if you can even do it.
0: Right? And stand on one leg and then try to turn your head. That will definitely give you some uh some difficulty, I'm assuming. I'm yeah. pretty bad at that one. Um but
1: Beyond that, right? Like so think of something like running. So there's something called the vestibular ocular reflex. Basically all it is the very Complicated term to describe. Okay, you have your vestibular or your inner ear system, right? That's one of the systems that helps us balance. You have that system, and you also have your vision. So obviously, and those are two of three systems that really uh, help us maintain our balance. But those two talk a lot to one another, Um, and so when our head moves, it impacts our eyes, and when our eyes move, and vice versa, they they communicate, and that helps regulate our balance, keep us upright in our kind of dynamic moving environment. Right.
0: And sometimes you don't need to you don't need to change things you just need to make them better. So you know I I'm treating someone right now who leads with his neck and I lead with my neck. So because my vision and my uh, my ocular system is not optimized as well as it could be, um, I lead with my neck when I go up in lifts. And a lot of people do that. I gain stability from my neck instead of having saying, it from my eyes. She's
1: saying like if you're at the bottom of a squat. Um, either yourself or you might have seen people do this, kind of just extend their neck and are looking up at the ceiling to try to go up.
0: And it's um, not sometimes, wrong.
1: Sometimes that's even coached. Right? Yeah. That's a cue people will give to, to people who are they're training, right? Um, but that is our body seeking sensory information uh, because those systems don't necessarily talk to one another as much or as ideally as we'd like them to.
0: So I guess long story short, we look at your vision and how your eyes work together, how your sensory systems work together, and how we can optimize that in order to improve other things, especially single leg movements. Single leg is something that we definitely look a lot at as far as balance and vision input goes.
1: I mean, even double leg stuff. yeah. you're (laughs) pulling heavy deadlifts, you might notice like one side works really hard or you have one leg that's a little bigger than the other or one leg gets tired quicker than the other or something like that on some of your lifts. I mean, (laughs) one side should not be working harder than the other, and in the absence of some kind of uh, blatant reason for that to be happening, it's usually because something with the nervous system's communication is awry and um, leads to some kind of imbalance and and dominance to one side or the other. So um, if we can turn both sides on 100%, then we PR-less. Perfect. (laughs) Okay.
0: So going forward in addition to vision we will look at the respiratory system or Mm -hmm. breathing and as we you've probably listened to our previous episode with Allie Wells uh, we talked a lot about breathing and the pelvic floor and that is definitely something that we assess in an initial eval because breathing is very important
1: and has to it ties into trunk stability it ties into a lot of performance things but um long story short, if we're not breathing optimally, we can't stabilize our trunk optimally. And we also can't uh, deliver oxygenated blood to our tissues as effectively. So um, that is certainly a huge component of our examination. And beyond that, it has to do with how we are dealing with um, life stress and physical stress. Uh, You know, the person who has tightness in their neck and their upper traps and stuff often has a lot of stress in their life, often is breathing up in that neck, upper shoulder region, right? So um, something as simple as altering the way we breathe a little bit can alleviate a lot of that stress, both uh, emotionally but also physically, and we can loosen up muscles just with the way we breathe sometimes.
0: Right, and even going backwards, you know, we talked a lot about core stability and distal mobility. That is that is the base of that pyramid, breathing is the fastest way to affect the, um, the sympathetic nervous system and to activate your core. You need breathing to be under control and to be done right. And I would say there is a right and a wrong for breathing. Yeah. I would say that not many things we talk about are like right and wrong, but there's like a,
1: I wouldn't say necessarily right and wrong. What I would say is if you're alive, then you're a breathing success. Yeah, Congratulations. Well, of course.
0: <laughs> we all know how to breathe.
1: <laughs> um, however, there is definitely an ideal and an optimal um, and a less ideal and less optimal yeah. breathing strategy. And that might vary, too, depending on what we're doing, right? So that's another thing that we would assess. Um, how are you breathing at rest, but also how are you breathing when you're trying to PR whatever lift is going on? So
0: right. So, the last thing that we would look at is basically sensation and sensory input.
1: Um, so, sense it goes along with some of the things we we're talking about, right? With the brain being kind of the leader of the show.
0: Like all the neck leading, et cetera.
1: Yeah. Um, but, basically, you can't do a motor output or you can't move without some kind of sensory input. Because our brain is predictive in nature. So, essentially, it's always making computations to say... What is going to happen next and what does that mean I need to do? right? If somebody throws a ball at your face, it's you see the ball and your brain says, okay, there's an object coming at my face. I need to then protect my face, therefore I need to start throwing my arms up in between that ball and my face. Well, right? and like
0: if you don't believe that your brain has a, a lot of control over you, PR, try to PR a lift. If you have no idea what's on the bar, you often PR. And yeah, then if so you know, that actually, right? yeah, I'll say like, I've, if you know that what's on the bar, you and you know that that's your maximum, you're likely going to stop there. Um, I just remember this summer when I put, <laughs> I had like 140 on the bar. I thought it was 105, and I did a squat, did it great, and then I tried to do it again after I knew that it was 140, couldn't do it, so. I'm sure everyone's had that happen, I feel like. That's such
1: a common thing. Like somebody else is loading the bar, or you're just kind of... You have a certain time hack to to hit whatever the max is. So lift with a buddy. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so definitely whatever movement we're doing, it's going to be highly dependent on how well we can perceive things about the movement and our environment, so... Um, that kind of covers you know, why it's difficult for us to just give out exercises um, and why it is in your best interest to get uh, a thorough evaluation and assessment versus just have us or somebody throw something generic at you that may or may not address your actual issue.
0: Yeah, and we um, really want to help you, but we want to do that in the best way possible and it's just not worth your time to do things that aren't going to help. So, I guess... I guess that was our, it was like a super soapboxy ep- episode, <laughs> but I feel like it was good.
1: Don't guess, assess.
0: Don't guess, assess. <laughs> yeah. Get your stuff checked out. Don't just assume that knee pain is just coming from the knee. Um,
1: if you have anything that you think needs to be assessed,
0: let yeah, us know. <laughs> yeah, reach out to us. Um, I think I think we'll wrap it up. It was. I think we gave a lot of good info. If anybody has any questions, we are always open to talk. Uh, Instagram is probably your best bet right now. We're working on our website. We'll get there eventually. Uh, we're at renegade movement.